God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. That we submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. God, you have spoken to us clearly through your word. And, and we want to live according to your word. And I pray that you would press these truths on our hearts. And that we would grow because of it. That we would become more like you, Lord. That is our desperate prayer. Is that we would become more like you each and every day. We want to reflect you in this dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we finished the Gospel Conversation series last week. And I know that we probably had about half the congregation here and half the congregation was not here. And we're thankful to the Lord that we had generator power. It wasn't working until 10.30 p.m. on that Saturday night. But but we finally got it working and we had power. We had a, a wonderful service last week. And so if you weren't here last week and you haven't listened to the concluding sermon and Gospel Conversations, I encourage you to go and listen to that sermon. We're going to the book of Philippians on August 11th. The book of Philippians will begin a journey through that book starting in a couple of, in three weeks. And, uh, but I felt like before we went to Philippians, I wanted to do a little three-part series based on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Very, very famous uh, uh, section of scripture. Many of us know that scripture, these scriptures by heart. And so this is what we're going to look at. We want to look at kind of three things. This, is, this first message this week will be about what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And then next week we're going to be looking at how it is that the Lord renews our minds. How are our minds renewed? How are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? And then the last week, on August the 4th, we're going to preach a message on how we can know the will of God for our life. How we can know for sure the will of God for all of our lives. And so that's the three-part series. That's where we're headed. So just to introduce this first section, this first message, I just want to say this, that it is difficult. And I know that what I'm about to say, that you will agree with me, that it is difficult to live in this world and be exposed to all the things that we're exposed to in this world as believers and not be swept away by it. Have you felt that? It is difficult to live in this world as believers in Jesus Christ and feel like that the tidal wave of this world and this culture is just going to sweep us away. There's so much junk and garbage and, and things of this world that push against us from so many different corners and areas with people that we work with, with media that we consume, with pressures from the enemy, from Satan and his evil world system pressing on us that it can seem like it is difficult to live in this life. And we can seem like, as we know, the theme of this scripture is, is about not being conformed to the world. It can feel like that that's difficult. Even as believers, it's difficult to not be pushed and pressed into the mold of the world. Have you felt that tension before? Am I the only one? You felt, I feel it. I feel it on a weekly basis. There's things that can come and press against our thinking. If we're not careful, we can become numb Hear me. We can become numb to the messages of the world that are out there. And we we can just, they can become normalized in our life, even as Christians. And so this section in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, is written to believers in Jesus Christ. The world doesn't need to hear this because they're already conformed, right? They are who they are apart from Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing this to the church at Rome and telling them, brothers, sisters, family of God, do not conform to the world. Don't be like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't adopt their mindsets. Don't adopt their principles for living. Because it's not congruent with who you are in Jesus Christ. 
And so that's what, I want, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at this reality that it is difficult to live that way. But we can live unconformed to this world. So let's go to the text. We'll read Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're going to unpack this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Again, again, he's speaking. Brothers means he's speaking to believers in Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And we're going to stop right there, and the next weeks we'll unpack the rest of the the rest of verse 2. But I appeal to you. He's saying, I appeal to you, brothers. And what is he making his appeal based on? And that word appeal means he's urging. He's appealing to believers in Christ at Rome. He's urging them. Or you could say he's pleading with them. He's pleading with them. But what is the basis of his urging? He says, according to the mercies of God. Or you could say, because of the mercies of God. He's saying, I'm urging you. I'm, I'm begging you. I'm begging you because of the mercies of God. That you would present your lives as living sacrifices. So here's the first thing. We're going to break down this, this, these first, this first verse and the sec, first half of the second verse into three sections that we want to look at here. But the first thing we want to look at is that the mercies of God are overwhelming. The mercies of God are overwhelming. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's, going to, he's telling them, and we'll get to it. He's telling them, don't be conformed to the world. Don't look like the world, don't act like the world, but I'm telling you, first of all, that the foundation of all of that is the mercies of God. I beg you, think about the mercies of God. Think about his grace in your life. Think about what he's done in your life, and on that foundation, surrender all that you are. So here's what I want to do. We're going to go through a bunch of scriptures here in this first point about the mercies of God, and I just want us to look at the mercies of God. Are you, are, you, are you ready? And you know what the Apostle Paul did? The first 11 chapters in Romans, first 11 chapters, are all about the mercies of God. All about the mercies of God. And then he gets to chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, based upon all those mercies I just unpacked for you, based upon those mercies, I appeal to you to live your life as a living sacrifice. So what are the mercies in the first 11 chapters? The overwhelming mercies of God. Love is a mercy from the Lord. Romans 1, 7 says to all those in Rome who are loved by God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have his love that is shed abroad in our heart. It is a mercy from the Lord to have his love. Grace is another mercy from God. Romans 3, it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. Grace is a mercy. Mercy is that we get something we don't deserve. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve grace. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The mercies of God are overwhelming. Then we have peace. Romans 5, 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a mercy. Do you have his peace with you today? You have a peace in your heart knowing that you're in right relationship with him? Do you have peace from God in the middle of the storm? Some of you this morning, you're in the middle of a storm. And it is the mercy of God in your life that even in the middle of the storm, those looking all around you are looking at your life and they're wondering, how is it that you have peace? It's a mercy from God that comes from him. Power. It's another mercy from God. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone 
who believes. So if you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ into your life and you are a believer in him, you have that power available in your life. Another mercy of God is hope. Romans 5, 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. Talked about grace earlier in which we stand and we rejoice in hope. Where's our hope based on? It's based on the reality of the gospel that transforms us and the reality that because of our faith in Christ that one day we will be with him forever in heaven. That's where our hope is found. And that is a grace, that is a mercy from the Lord is hope. We have patience and kindness, Romans 2, 4. Now, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Patience and kindness. Aren't you grateful for that mercy from the Lord? How many of you are so grateful God's patience, patient with you? Sometimes I think about my children, and I don't reflect the Lord with them very often. Sometimes parents, sometimes you don't reflect the Lord who is patient and kind, or maybe it's people in your life that, that you really, that rub you the wrong way and you're not walking in that reality of who Christ is. Aren't we glad that God doesn't respond to us like we respond to others? That he is patient, that he is kind, that he is long-suffering towards us and he longs that we would be with him and close to him. Here's another mercy from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is a mercy from the Lord. Romans 8, listen to what it says in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for who? The saints. That's a mercy from the Lord. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And that is a mercy of the Lord, of being a believer in Jesus Christ. We receive the mercy and the blessing that the Holy Spirit is praying for us right now he's interceding for us right now righteousness is a mercy from the lord romans 1 16 and 17 for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes verse 17 for in it for in what for in the gospel the righteousness of god is revealed so where does righteousness come from for is it from your good works is it from your ability to, 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 to check all the boxes off and to do all the religious responsibilities? Is that where righteousness before God comes from? No, what does the scripture say? For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That is a mercy that we get to be declared righteous before a holy God because of our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another mercy is forgiveness. Romans 4, 7, and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. How many of you are forgiven here this morning? You forgiven? Do you feel it? You feel the forgiveness? Do you take joy in it? What a, what a great mercy that the Lord doesn't count our sins against us. Amen. Amen. I don't think we understand that fully. We don't understand that fully. We need to be reminded on a regular basis. Reconciliation is another mercy. Romans 5. 10 through 11, for if while we were sinners, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
And so the picture there is that we were once dead. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins and we needed to be reconciled. But now we are reconciled in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Justification is another mercy. Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law of the prophets witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. Fallen short of the glory of God. And how are we? And, and are justified by his grace as a gift. So what is justification? It's a mercy of God that you can be declared right before the Lord. Just as if you had never sinned to be justified. It is a mercy from the Lord. Assurance of salvation. Are you guys getting tired of these mercies? You guys getting bored? Assurance of salvation. Romans 8, listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all of creation, will be able to separate me as a believer from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We can have assurance of salvation. If you're here today and you are a believer, but you struggle with assurance of salvation, you need to memorize that section of Scripture and be reminded that your salvation is not based upon your ability to maintain it. Do you know that? It's a mercy of God to know that we are saved and he's working out the mess in our lives. And he's not going to let us go. He's going to walk us through being conformed into his image. We can rest in assurance. Another mercy is freedom from the power and penalty of sin. Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in death like within death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a, in a resurrection like his. Listen to this. We know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As believers, that is the mercy of God. The power and the penalty of sin has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so now as believers, you don't have to live under the control of temptation and sin. Do you know that? You don't have to follow the dictates of your flesh like you used to before you were a believer. You can say no to sin and say yes to God. The power of sin is broken in our lives. Amen? Adoption as sons is another mercy. Romans 8, 14 through 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I had double those mercies written in my notes. And I kept, okay, well, I'll take that one out because I don't think they're going to be able to handle 30 scriptures. I don't know if they're going to be able to handle hearing all these overwhelming mercies. They're just going to like, why is this guy only reading scriptures? It's just going to be so boring. But I wanted the effect. I wanted you to hear. I left out half. That's just the first 11 chapters of Romans. These mercy after mercy, grace, forgiveness, justification, peace, love, All these mercies of God. And so it's no wonder that in Romans 11, the last four verses, listen to the Apostle Paul before he says, Brothers, I beseech you. I urge you. Listen to what he says. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. He breaks out in praise. After he just laid out the wonderful work of the gospel and the mercies provided to us in Christ. And he breaks out in praise and he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. And he is breaking out in worship and praise. The mercies of God are overwhelming. Do you believe it here this morning? Do you believe it? Amen. I believe with all my heart. So I have a question for us. What is the only reasonable response to the overwhelming mercies of God? When God gives you mercy and he gives you forgiveness of sins, when you understand the depth of your depravity, that you didn't deserve mercy and grace and forgiveness and assurance of salvation and adoption as sons and and reconciliation and all these mercies that we just read, when you realize that you don't deserve any of it and he gives it to you as a gift because of your faith in Christ, what's the only reasonable response? Number two, here's the answer. Presenting our lives as living sacrifices is the only reasonable response. That's what Paul says. I urge you, brothers, according to the mercies of God, that you present your lives as a living sacrifice. It's the only reasonable response. That we would give all of our lives. That's what it says. Let's read back again. Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that we just read, That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable can be translated, is translated, another word for it is rational. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. It's like me and my relationship with my wife. When, 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 when we were, when I was trying to woo her, but I was lavishing mercy upon mercy on her life. And the only rational response for her when I proposed to her was to say, yes. I mean, it would have, been, would have been foolish for her to reject my offer. Hey, man, that's good preaching right there. That's marriage and family preaching right there. That's what I'm talking about. Think of all the things that God has done for us. The only reasonable response, only rational. It would make no sense if you received all of these mercies, these overwhelming mercies of God, and you said, well, you know, hey, ho-hum, I'll live for the Lord. Here, there, a little while. It's no big deal. You know? Have you ever met a Christian like that, a supposed Christian like that, that really just doesn't take the relationship with the Lord very serious? That's not rational. That's not rational. It makes no, it makes no sense. It's only reasonable and it's only rational that because of the depth of the forgiveness and reconciliation we've received in Christ, that we would say, Lord, here's my life. I am a living sacrifice all of my life belongs to you first corinthians 6 19 through 20 says this or do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have from god and you are not your own we are not our own for we were bought with a price what was the price the precious blood of jesus therefore glorify god be a living sacrifice therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? Which are God's. Let's think about this. God purchased, that's my, that's my, that's my Freddie Fry impersonation right there. <laughs> right there. 
listen, I don't do it as good as he does. But he's got, you got them, them long fingers and basketball player hands, and I just can't get the, the pop. Can you do it for us? Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. That's right, that's right. I can't do it, but I just, I just, I, I know how he feels. I just want to tell you, listen, listen. I don't even, I lost, I'm gone, I'm done. I don't know why I was clapping. Brother Freddie messed me up. I messed myself up. <laughs> we belong to the Lord. We're not our own. We're not our own. We think we belong to ourselves. We are cursed by being Americans. I know some of you think, no, we're not. We're blessed. We are blessed, but we're cursed at the same time. It is a blessing and it is a curse because we think we're free. I'm not free as a believer. I am enslaved to Christ. I was enslaved to sin. I was enslaved to my own will, my own way. But whenever I surrendered to faith in Christ, I say, here you go, Lord. My life is yours. I'm not my own. I'm not my own. The Ephesian pastors were warned in Acts chapter 20. Listen to this. It says, therefore, take heed to yourselves, speaking to the pastors and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Okay, so here's the responsibility. Here's the, here's the responsibility to pastors. You're called to shepherd the flock of God, bring oversight to the flock of God. And that's a serious responsibility. But listen to what the next section there says. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. So think about that. I've never laid down my blood, his own blood. He laid down his blood for your life. And it's like, it's like the Lord ramped up the stakes there. And he said, he said, I want you to shepherd God's people. Oh, but by the way, they don't belong to you. They belong to me because I bought them with my blood. You didn't buy them with your blood. I bought them with my blood. And so because they belong to me, here, you take care of them. That's an awesome picture and, re- and, and, and reality of the responsibility that we have, that I have, and that the pastors here have to shepherd you because you don't belong to us. You belong to the Lord. Contrary to popular belief in our world today, this life is not about us. We are not meant to be the center of the universe. This life is not about us presenting our bodies to ourselves for our own desires. Every area of our life should be a living sacrifice to the Lord. And I want to touch real quickly before we move on two areas that I want us to think about concerning surrender of our whole life to Christ. The first one is sin. The first area is sin. Romans 6, 12 through 13 says this, let not sin therefore reign. What does it mean for sin to reign? It means to have control, to have authority, to rule in your life. We're living sacrifices. We surrender all of our life to the Lord. And based upon that, we should not, as believers, let sin rule in our bodies, our mortal, our temporary bodies. We should not allow sin to rule in our bodies, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's us as Christians. Do not, we should not present our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, your body, to God as instruments of righteousness. So I just want to challenge you. In your life as a believer, we are called to deal with sin in our life harshly. Personally. 
We're called to cut it off. What did the Apostle Paul say? 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul said that he disciplines his body daily. Another translation says that he beats, he buffets his body daily. Why does he, why does he say that he does that? He said, lest after I preach, I would be disqualified. That's the standard for all of us. And so that's a, that's a picture of our lives as a living sacrifice because we don't belong to ourselves. Any area of sin in our life, we must take it serious. We must say, no, Lord, this is not in this is not in, uh, this does not make sense in relation to who I am in you. This area of sin, this area of temptation, Lord, and I'm gonna cut it off. I'm gonna bring it out in the light. I'm gonna find a brother or a sister in Christ that I can say, help me with this. You know what the enemy wants you to do as a believer is he wants you to hide your sin. And he wants you to think that you can manage it on your own and that you don't need any help. But what the Lord is calling you to do is to discipline your body and to to reject and not allow sin to rule in your life and to link arms with people, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, and say, I need help so that I will not allow this area to trip me up. Amen? I know you guys are excited about that. It's true. It is true. It's true in my life. It's true in your life. I can't allow sin to rule in my life. You know, sometimes you got to, you got to cut the sin to pieces. you got to cut it to pieces. Sometimes we wonder why God's not using us. Sometimes we wonder why we're not effective or we're struggling in, in our life. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's sin. You know, sin's real. Sin is an affront to God. So we must, in view of the mercies of God, say there's nothing, no pleasure, no power, no success, and no sin. It is worth standing in the way between my relationship with the Lord and what he's planned for me. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Another thing, second thing, that's concerning of being a living sacrifice. I want to talk about our future. Sin and then now our future. We're called to lay our life down as a living sacrifice. Our life doesn't belong to us. Listen to what the book of James says, chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, this is how we ought to live. Because we are living sacrifices. Because we don't belong to ourselves. Because our future is not in our hands but in his. What should we, what should we say? If the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. We must live our lives that we must live lives that are surrendered to Christ and be willing to go whenever, wherever, and do whatever he's calling us to do. Whenever, wherever, however. Fayetteville, Georgia, got to go. Why? Because the Lord said go, right? Whatever, living sacrifices. It's hard to leave, but you're saying yes. You're obeying the Lord. Why? Because you're a living sacrifice. You put your life on the altar long time ago, Right? That's how we should live, that no matter how painful, how hard, that the Lord says go, the Lord says yes, Lord, my future is not my own. My future is not my own. Listen, I felt called to be a pastor a long time ago, 12 years old, in a top bunk in Chack Bay. Listen to me. I felt called to be a pastor, laying on a top bunk in Chack Bay, Louisiana. And I would have never imagined I'd be standing right here, right now, pastoring this church. I didn't want to follow Pastor Rene. I didn't want to follow that man. Follow that man? (laughs) Who was faithful for 38 and a half years 
and builds a $15 million building debt-free, has an amazing legacy, follow him? Let me follow a failure. It's only up from there. And that's true. That's real life. That's true. That's what I think about at night when I'm trying to go to sleep. You know, I had a dream. I had a dream a couple nights ago. I had a dream that I quit. I did. I had a dream I quit and turned the church over to somebody else. And, and, and the, the somebody else that came up, I was in the service and he was, this is my dream. He's preaching something and it was terrible. I jumped up in the middle of the sermon. I grabbed him by the arm and Clyde and, Clyde and, and Matt were the only ones on staff. I don't know where the other ones were, but you were in Georgia. <laughs> uh, so, so I grabbed him and said, said, guys, this can't happen. We need to go to the board and let's talk. But, you know, sometimes I have those thoughts like, God, 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 is this too big? I, look. But here's the thing. My life is a living sacrifice. And I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please an audience of one, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, I had some pent-up stuff coming out here this morning. I apologize. Uh, this, we can't, maybe we shouldn't put this on YouTube. <laughs> I'm not sure about this one. Um, but it's true. And that's how I have to live. I have to live. We all have to live with the sense, Lord, look, no matter what it is, no matter how big it is, how small it is, whatever decision you're calling us to, if it seems overwhelming or too big for us, God, we're just going to say yes. Why? Because we don't belong to ourselves. Our future is in his hands. Charles Spurgeon said this, it is our duty and our privilege to exhaust our lives for Christ. Amen. To exhaust our lives for Christ. We're not called to be living specimens of men in fine preservation. But we're called to be living sacrifices. Amen. So as we think about the overwhelming mercies of God. And as we think about the only reasonable response. Is to be a living sacrifice. Conforming to the world is not an option. It's my third point. Conforming to the world. It's like, it's not optional. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was after there in Romans 12. Look at the mercies of God. Think about them. How amazing they are. Because of that, give the Lord all of your life. Be a living sacrifice. And, oh, and by the way, don't be like the world. It's like a no-brainer. It's not optional that we would be like the world. Why is that? Because it doesn't make sense that we would conform to the ways of the world because of the realities of what Christ has done in us. As believers in Jesus Christ, adopting the thinking and values of this world is not an option. We are called to a higher standard. And this idea of being conformed is this picture of being pressed into the mold of the world. The world, the word world, is this picture of an evil system of beliefs that are motivated by Satan. And as believers, allowing ourselves to be pressed or conformed or take the shape of the world's thinking is not congruent with who we are in Christ, it makes no sense for us to allow the world to press into our life and so that we would take its shape and its beliefs and its belief system. Conforming to, the, conforming to the world, though, doesn't happen overnight. You guys experience that? It doesn't happen overnight in our life. You know, there's things in my life as a Christian, I think back over my Christian life. I got born again when I was early in my life, probably around the age of 12, and so I've been a Christian for a while, and I've gone through seasons of, of 
where I, you know, I have values and standards that are high. And then if I'm not careful in the course of my life, those standards can be lowered. But why is that? It's because I allow the world to encroach in on me in certain areas. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, it's like I'm doing and saying and, and, and associating with things. It's like, how, how did I get there? It's here a little. It's there a little. And that's the strategy of Satan, to have a bunch of ineffective Christians in the world that aren't effective to shine the light of the gospel. I just want to say this. This is going to be a challenging statement. This is, but I think it's going to challenge our thinking. Because this is real life. And I want, I want us to think deeply about this. Because as believers, we have to hold high the truth of Scripture. This is what we base our lives on as Christians. We believe that the Word of God is true in all of its saying. It's not, we don't pick and choose. When the Bible says something is sin and is wrong, when the Bible says this is how we should live, this is the way to, the, to Christ. This is the way to be saved. It's true. We believe it because we believe that all the words of God are divinely inspired. But here's the temptation. I would call it the human goodness element. This is so prevalent in our world today. This human goodness element. Here's, here's kind of what it sounds like. I kind of put this in quotations here. This is what maybe we'd be tempted to say. I, I know that what they are saying And how they are living is not pleasing to the Lord, but they're good people. They're good people. They're even nicer than some Christians I know. That's the temptation. And we say, well, I know they're good. I I, I know that what they're doing is not right. And and, and I know that that that, that, that shouldn't be the way that they live. And I know this is what God's word says, but, but they're just good people. And here's the temptation that we begin to blur the lines as as the church. We begin to say, well, you know what, you, know, it, you, can, you live how you want to live, and really all roads kind of lead to the same place, and this is my religion, this is your religion, and that's eventually where you end up. You compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is clear. Anybody who claims to be a Christian and says that the gospel is this message that can kind of be twisted and turned and made into something else, they don't know the gospel. They're not reading the Bible that we read. The, the gospel is clear. Jesus made it clear. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. That's it. He made it clear. That's the gospel. But if we're not careful, we can look at the world, at non-believers, and say, well, they're good. How, I, I, they're, they're good. They're loving. They're compassionate. They'll do more for me than, than, my, than my saved family at church. How can they be wrong if they're so good? It's because we're looking at the wrong standard of goodness. The standard of goodness is God's perfection. God is perfect, and Romans 3 says that from that standard, all have sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Even your really good, generous, non-believing friend that you have. That we all miss the mark. You guys follow me? We must not be conformed to the world. If we're not careful, human goodness becomes the standard of truth instead of the word of God. Did you hear me? If we're not careful, human goodness becomes the standard for truth instead of the word of God. This is what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to eat away at our convictions. Slowly but surely erode away our commitments to biblical truth. Why should we not conform to the ungodly ways of this present world? Why should we not do that? As I said earlier, it's because it doesn't make sense for us. Because we are called to be distinct. There's one primary reason why. If someone doesn't conform to the pressure of being like everyone else around them, what happens? Have you ever been in a room 
You get a group of people in a room and they all kind of look the same way, all kind of dressed the same way. And then you get somebody that walks in and they're different. They just look different, right? Maybe they're in the outlandish outfit and they just walk in and everyone knows they're there. That's what happens, right? And so what, what happens? They, they stand out. They're not conforming to what everyone else looks like. That's how we're to be as believers in Jesus Christ in this life. That whenever we walk into the room, when we walk onto a job, when, we, when we're at the supermarket, where, where, wherever we are, we stand out as lights because we're different. We think different. Our values are different. We value things differently than the world values. We should stand out. Picking on Brother Freddie again. When Brother Freddie walks in a room of a bunch of short people, <laughs> average height people, what happens? He stands out. I'm going to miss that. So you're six foot six? Man, that, that's a, who's going to sit in that spot? Six foot six, you stand out, right? That's the idea that wherever he goes, when he's around short people, he stands out because he's tall, he's big. And you can see him from, from wherever. And that's what we're called to be as Christians. Wherever we go, we stand out. We make our mark. Amen? If you don't believe me, believe our Lord in Matthew 5. You, speaking to us, are the salt of the earth. What's salt supposed to do? Flavor. Makes the meal distinct, right? It's like if you have a dish and you don't have salt in it, you know, you kind of you get a little bit of the natural flavors of what's going on, but salt comes in and it makes it distinct. It enhances the flavors of the meal. You don't have salt in it, then, you know, you don't have that distinctiveness. But listen to what Jesus says. You're the salt of the earth. We're called to be the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So today, when I go to get my Morton salt container and I put it on food, if it's not salty, I throw it away, right? If it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, then it's good for nothing, is what Jesus said. So I just want to tell you that the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, whom you love, is telling you and me that if we are not distinct and we lose our saltiness, we're good for nothing. I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you you're good for nothing. Jesus did. If you're not distinct, Jesus, if you're not distinct and you don't stand out, be encouraged today, you're good for nothing. If you want to know, so, so tell people, what, what's your pastor tell you today? Tell me I'm good for nothing. No, that's what the Lord says. But you guys get what I'm trying to say, right? The Lord of Church says that if, if we lose our distinctiveness, then, then we aren't functioning as we were designed to function. How are we designed to function? Look, he says it again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. So, it's, listen, it's not optional for you to be a light. It's not optional. When you become a believer, you become a light. Because that's what he says here. You are. You are the light of the world. A city. You are a city that's on a hill. That cannot be hidden. You stand out. You're distinct. You, 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 it is unavoidable for you to be seen. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. See, it makes no sense. If you're a light, you're meant to shine. If you're a city on a hill, you're meant to be seen. We don't put a basket over a light. But why? why? Because the light gives, gives, it gives light to all in the house. So, so I have a basket here. Here's a basket and here's a light. And so here's what we're called to be. This is who we are. Not what we're called to be. This is who we are. We're meant to be lights, right? That's very bright and distinct. It hurts my eyes to look at it. It's very bright. But why would we ever in our life, for whatever reason, 
Why would we ever want to cover up who we are? And I just want to tell you, if you want to cover up who you are, I question if you are really who you think you are. Because if you really are the light of the world, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you want everyone to know it. You don't, you don't do that. You don't put a basket over your life and cover up who you are. Because who you are is meant to be seen. It's meant to shine all around you. But here's what I think actually happens. Sometimes, as believers, we're tempted to, to, to cover it up. And if you notice, I had Chuck put some cracks all around here. So there's, there's a little light. Now, you see it? You see the little, the little bit of light that's shining? We're like, okay, I'm only comfortable with this a little bit, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm going to cover up, kind of halfway shine. That's what we're tempted to do. But no, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to not put a basket. That makes no sense. A light is called to bring light to darkness. Amen? And darkness cannot overcome light. Light always overcomes darkness. That's what we are called to. Amen? We have to be okay with being distinct from the world. We have to be okay with standing out looking like a foreigner or an alien. Foreigner or an alien. I wrote a, I wrote a blog post. It ended up in the Courier, I don't know, probably a year or so ago. And I titled it Crawfish and Aliens. Anybody read my Courier article called Crawfish and Aliens? And so the idea of the message of the, of the, the article was that I don't like crawfish. And actually, I don't like seafood. I know some of you, you may leave the church now. I'm sorry. Can't have a pastor that doesn't like seafood. I know, that's difficult. Sad to break that news to you. So I, 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 that was my introduction to my article. You know, I, I was born in Galliano. I have Abair and Jeremy blood flowing through my veins. I am Bayou Lafouche. I'm not Bayou Terrebonne. Bayou Lafouche is the real Bayou. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I have pastor a church in Terrebonne. That's a bad idea to say that. I'm just playing it up here. But, 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 but really, Bayou Lafouche Cajuns, right? That's where I come from. Lady of the Sea Hospital is where I was born. This is how I'm introducing my article. But I don't eat crawfish. And I don't like seafood. And so sometimes when people find out, I feel like I'm an alien. I feel like I stand. I feel like that when they look at me, they think, who are you? What planet are you from? There's no way that you were born in Bayou Lafouche. That's how we're called to live our life. Who are you? Why is it that you don't like to do what I, I, I do? Why is it you don't think the way I think? Why is it that you believe what you believe? Who are you? You're strange. You're an alien. Christians are always meant to be counterculture in every society that they live. Amen? Because that's what God's word says. I'm going to end with this. First Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you and me as believers, we are a chosen race. Amen. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. Amen. Belong to him. So that you may proclaim. Right here. So that you may proclaim. So you may proclaim the excellencies of him. That's what we do. When we turn on the light. We're proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. And his goodness. And his mercies. And when we turn it off. We're hiding it. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. You remember earlier about living sacrifices? Wage war against your fleshly lust. Wage war. Abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's why we're called to be distinct. Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? So I want to pray for you today. Pray for you. I'm going to close in prayer. We have a prayer room that is out this direction. You go out that door. You can go out any door. and You come around here. And there's a room right here, right this direction, in the hallway. It's going to have a sign on the wall. It's going to say prayer room. And if you need prayer about anything, anything that I preached about here in this message this morning, and it touched your heart, and you want to pray with me, I will be in there personally, and other people will be in there to pray. If you need prayer about anything concerning this message, that you want to surrender to the Lord, or if you want to become a distinct light in the world, if you want to become a believer in Jesus Christ and surrender your whole life to him and become a living sacrifice, you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will be in there and I will personally pray with you. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you in prayer. and We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for the great mercies of God that are poured out on our lives. And God, I pray, God, that you would help us each and every day to make decisions to be living sacrifices for you. That we would be distinct, that we would stand out, that we would demonstrate the goodness of God in the middle of a dark world. And I pray that, that, that the hope of the gospel would be seen through our life, that men and women that don't know you can be forgiven, can be born again, can be made brand new. They can see the goodness of God through our lives. I thank you for this church family. pray that you bless them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love you. You are dismissed.